We thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching from Metro Church. We hope this inspiring message will empower and enrich your life. You know what? The entirety of our faith hinges on this weekend. If not for the cross, if not for the empty tomb, we could not believe for eternity with God. If not uh, for Jesus going to that cross, if Jesus had not risen, we could not hope in overcoming the grave too. Our entire faith requires the resurrection. If not for Jesus' resurrection, we could not hold fast to his second coming. Are you getting the picture, church? It's a big deal. Easter is so much more than just Easter eggs or family pictures, although we have both. (laughs) It's so much more than just Easter lunch, wherever you're having it. It's so much more than just family gathering. It's about the fact that we have a faith that is secure because of what Jesus did for us. Isn't that exciting? Oh, I'm excited. But but when I think about this, how did we get here, right? Uh, This past Friday... We talked a lot about what Good Friday was, and, and I took some time to catch people up and helping them understand that it would have been Thursday night when the Last Supper would have happened because it was Jesus' Last Supper, right? And, and talked through the hours of what would have happened through uh, the, the wee hours of the morning with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. And, and we went through this whole thing. So what I'm trying to do is let me catch you up in the story of where we are now. Okay? So Jesus, he has been to the cross. Of course, Good Friday happens. He gave up his spirit and it was, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. Oh, he was just getting started. He said, it is finished. Meaning that, hey, there will never need to be another sacrifice for sin again because I'm it. What I have done on this cross will be good forever. You know, just put it on that tab. You know what I'm saying? Not that you're trying to run a tab against God's blood, but you know what I'm saying? He's saying, hey, it's done once and for all, right? And so he's given up his life on that Good Friday. Pilate had the centurion confirm death before taking his body down. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a believer and he took his body and wrapped him in fine linen and laid him in a new tomb that he owned. And and the Bible says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, observed where he was laid right? Now, Saturday was a day where Jesus was dead, and that's hard for us to consider. Hard for us to consider the fact that his body temperature had dropped. Hard to consider the fact that the Son of God could actually be dead. But it was all to fulfill the prophecies. It was all to fulfill the once and for all kind of forgiveness that we were going to be given. Now, I remember thinking early on, when I, when I think about Jesus being taken down from the cross, and I remember thinking early on, why didn't they embalm him that night? Anyone have that thought? Like, as you know, the story of the, the, the ladies going back to the tomb to uh, prepare his body after he's already been laying in the grave for three days. Anyone following the story? Uh, now, now, one of the things that's important to remember is they couldn't prepare the body that night because it was preparation day for the Sabbath. Okay, they couldn't be around or touch a dead body or they would not have been allowed to be a part of the Sabbath celebration and feast that was to come the very next day, right? And uh, the, 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 by Jewish law, they also couldn't sneak out after the Sabbath feast and go and handle it because there was no work to be done on the Sabbath. Are you following this? So that they couldn't slip away. So it was the soonest they would have been able to go and prepare the body early that Easter Sunday. 
So let's continue reading through the Easter story and look to find ourselves in the story. Remember Good Friday, we talked about how we were Barabbas. When we read the story, we were the one that deserved the cross, yet he took it for us. We're going to continue the line of thought trying to find ourselves in the Easter story. Because although we weren't there that day, there are stand-ins that represent each of us. Where we see human nature, there we are. Where we see human emotion, there we are. And where we see the struggle of faith over fear, there we are. Starting in Mark 16, follow along with me. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James uh, and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. How many would be alarmed? Like expecting a dead body, sparkling angel, dead body gone. A little freaky deaky. Don't be alarmed, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Whew. Just stop. Just pause. I just need a moment. Because as I read this and consider them standing in the tomb, trying to work through the news they just heard, I can imagine the feeling. Remembering the first time I considered the news I had heard. So wait, wait, wait. You're saying that the Son of God came to earth, bore my sin and shame on a cross, was laid dead for three days, and then they came back and he was just gone? Are you seeing this? Because we have all had to be in that place where we have to consider the news of not only Jesus' death, but Jesus' resurrection. And what we think about that. Number one, I am the one standing in the tomb. I am the one standing in the tomb. In our faith journey, we must too stand before the empty tomb and try and sort our feelings towards the evidence that is before us. I was very blessed to be in the Holy Lands a few years back, and um, although I couldn't find the video or picture, I'll post it online. If you follow me, you'll see it. I'll repost it. But I've stood before the empty tomb, and I've, I've had that moment of going, this place exists. This isn't just something we talk about. And reminding myself that when we read the stories in the scripture, it's not just a story, it's history. It's his story. It's what God is doing. And we may not have been present to try and examine the stone that was rolled away, but we too have experienced a spiritual awakening through God's wooing, his drawing us to himself. We're trying to make sense of what is happening in our hearts that point us to the empty tomb. Think of the disciples who heard the angel speak to them and that Jesus had done exactly what he said he was going to do. We're about to read the second time Jesus had predicted or prophesied what would happen at his time of death. When we flip back from Mark 16, go all the way back to Mark chapter 9, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. 
and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Jesus was already telling them how it was going to be. He would, he'd even predicted or, or prophesied that, hey, there's not going to be one stone that hasn't been unturned. There's not going to be one thing here that hasn't been brought down, but in three days I'll raise it again. I'll build it again. Jesus was continually putting a, a focus on how it would be. Now these people are having to face the reality of the miraculous as they stand in that tomb. But how can they accept what they can't understand? This is what we deal with in our own hearts. This is what we hear from many. This is a question I'm asked a lot by those who do not believe in Jesus. How can you accept something you can't fully understand? How can you believe something that happened thousands of years ago that you weren't there to see, that you can't hold in your hands? For me, it's the same way I accept other things I can't fully explain or touch. It is the definition of faith. And faith is something that is in every part of our world, not just Jesus. We use faith daily for little things. You know, when I watch the, the news and it's telling me about what's going to happen with the weather, I have a little bit of faith in what they say. You know, if it says it's going to be windy with 50 mile an hour winds, guess who's going to make sure things are anchored down in the backyard? But I can't see winds. How, how can I believe in something I can't see? Yet I see the effects of it everywhere. Every day. I don't know when the last time was you were able to completely explain everything to do with electricity or the speed of lights. But every day you wake up and you have enough faith to flip the switch and expect something to happen. But how can you believe something you can't explain? Something you can't touch? How can you activate faith every day without knowing it? And then make it sound crazy when we talk about something else that is very effective, alive, and moving in our everyday lives. That we happen to call coincidence time and time again. The fact that we cannot fully explain something does not affect its truth, nor its effect around us. Yes, it's true we can't explain every moment of how Jesus did what he did. How he went to the cross and died and three days later walked out of the tomb alive. But I can certainly speak to the effect it has on my life. What God's word does and what his spirit does within me is very much real. How he helps me every day, how he strengthens my marriage, how he helps me become a better father and friend, that's undeniable. In life, we don't have to be able to explain everything to be convinced of its truth. As Resurrection Sunday continues to unfold in the scripture, the angel tells the followers at the tomb, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. As I'm reading this, obviously the question comes up, why was Peter specifically spoken of in this moment? Why wasn't he just included with the other disciples? After all, he was a disciple. Of course, it's because Peter had just denied knowing Jesus three times only three short days ago. 
Jesus wanted Peter to be sure he was not dismissing or denying Peter for his actions. And that's why number two, I am Peter. When I read the story of the resurrection Sunday, and when I read the story of Easter, I'm Peter. How many times have I denied Christ in my thoughts and actions throughout my life? When I made decisions I shouldn't have and said and done things that denied Christ's existence in my life, how many times when I was younger had I disassociated myself? Come on. Had I disassociated myself to sidestep the ridicule, ridicule of peers or the mocking of being part of his church? You know, I, was, I grew up in a, a church that we believed in the full gospel. This church, by the way. Uh, we believe in the full gospel. We believe in the Bible cover to cover. We believe God's spirit is still being poured out on the earth. We believe miracles are still happening. And guess what? I'm seeing miracles still happening. We're praying for things on a Sunday and getting praise reports on a Monday. We're hearing stories of somebody who couldn't have a child for three and a half years but continued to believe God's word, to stand on it. And she didn't get one. She got two. She probably didn't need to pray quite as hard. But she got two. She could have prayed even harder and got three, but I think two's probably perfect. Okay? But what I'm saying is we see miracles all the time. But here's the thing. When I remember when I was young and part of a church that actually believed God's word would come to pass, I was considered a, in school as though I was a part of a cult. So what did I do? I, I distanced myself sometimes. I look back on it feeling bad. Yeah, I was just a kid, but... We've got a lot of grown-ups still acting kid-like when it comes to their faith. We disassociate ourselves with the very one who hung on a cross for our sins. We are Peter. We've all at one time or another been standing in Peter's sandals, denying Christ. For some, it was denial by silence. When you should have spoke up. When you should have corrected what was clearly not being told true. When I see Peter singled out in this scripture, I see God's word single me out too. But go, tell his disciple, and Chad, and Susan, and Juan, and Bobby, or Robert. I see God single us out to remind us that even though we have a past, he paid for that too on the cross. Are you receiving this word, church? The same way he wanted Peter to know that he understands our weak moments when we have also denied him. In Peter's case, he prophesied it would happen. But he still chose us and singles us out in his love for us. We need to make it very much personal. As we continue in the story, in verse 9, it says, When Jesus rose early on that first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. Now look, I haven't had seven demons driven out of me. But I know that there was a past life that needed to be put to death. I knew that God had to call me out of the, death, the dead walking. He had to call me out of my grave clothes. He had to call me out. And so that's why number three, I am Mary Magdalene. When I see Jesus go and seek to show himself to Mary, one who the world would regard as less important less deserving after what she came out of. I mean, seven demons? But he went to her. I see me. I see you. We all have a past that should disqualify us from Christ's attention. 
yet he seeks us out too. We don't deserve his attention or reaffirmation. Yet the way he cared to seek out the least deserving, he also is seeking you out and me out. I'm reminded of all the shortcomings Jesus has freed me from and that he is still seeking relationship with me. Isn't that exciting, church? He's still seeking relationship with you. He knows where you were last week. He knows where you were last night. And he's still seeking relationship with you. It's not because he doesn't want you to turn from those things. It's he wants you to know that what he did covers that. He can forgive that. He loves you beyond that. He loves you so much he wants to help you get beyond that. Are you getting this? But he still sees you individually. It's easy as a church to see the big crowd and just say, yeah, I'm one of them. But even when the, the angel was saying, now go and tell the disciples and Peter. Yes, God sees his church, but he sees you. We need to personalize it. Are you getting this? Mark 16, 10, it goes on. It says, she went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe. We read that Jesus appeared many times after his resurrection to many people. Even on one occasion, 500 people at one time. That's a lot of witnesses to say there was nothing to it. But one of these times Jesus appeared to the disciples, they all saw and they all believed, but there was one who was not among them, and his name was Thomas. Thomas didn't believe that he had shown up, that Jesus had been there in the flesh. And of course, we read in John 20, now Thomas was one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in the hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Number four. I am Thomas. Even though we can be counted as Thomas, who also time to time fought with doubt, we have wanted to believe. I mean, think about it. It's the amount of times that we have wanted to believe wholeheartedly, but instead we've got to say, I believe, but help me, Lord, with my disbelief. The amount of times where we'd love to be able to stand firm in strong faith, but all we have is the mustard seed mustard seed kind of faith. The moments of doubt, fighting with doubt, it shows that we are Thomas too. We've all been where Thomas has stood at some time in our life. When I read about Thomas, I can see humanity's nature, and that is within us all as well. Wanting God to prove himself to us. How many times have we said, God, if you would just do this, then I will. God, I want to believe, but I need to see this first. Remember Jesus said, you unbelieving generation, all you want is signs. Yet we do the Thomas thing. If I could just see it, God, if I could feel it, if I could touch it, where the spear went in your side, then I'll believe. I'm thankful that God's love extends beyond our doubts that his forgiveness even covers our moments of weakness. John 20 goes on to say this, a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Can we just pause for a minute? We can't just 
say that without understanding. He walked through a wall or something. The doors were locked and he just appeared. Beam me up. Like, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. But what I do know is he was there in the flesh, even though everything was locked. So I'll continue. But we, we can't just read over that. We've got to talk about it, right? Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, my God. Thomas is having a moment where everything he said in what he thought was private, Jesus fully heard, understood, and spoke to the next time he saw him. The times where we say things and we think that it was just flippant and that God didn't hear us. Oh, he heard. The times where we even uh, don't speak out our doubt. God hears our hearts. But in the moment where God could have come and laid the hammer on Thomas, he didn't. He said instead, see, touch, feel. When I read these stories, it reminds me why God still calls us his children. We never grow up beyond being a child in God's eyes. Why? Because we still need to touch and feel and see. We still doubt. The times where I find myself surprised again of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his miracle power, I'm Thomas. John 20, 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what I love is in this story, Jesus, Jesus also speaks as us, as those who have not yet seen, yet chose to believe. Jesus wants to again remind you of who he is. He wants you to believe in him. Number five, I am the disciple who hasn't seen, yet believes. All these years later, we who did not touch the scars yet chose to believe are being spoke of in Jesus' reply to Thomas. We are activating a level of faith that those who were able to witness Jesus in the flesh could not. I think that's something you have to remind yourself of. We, we, we struggle. We don't give ourselves enough credit. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be humble. But the reality is we did not walk with Jesus. We're activating a level of faith moving in the Holy Spirit that others that have been able to walk with Jesus couldn't even activate because they were able to see. They were able to touch. They were able to feel. So as I read this Easter story, I am the disciple who hasn't seen, yet believes. Again, John 29, uh, 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And as I wrap this up, because I'm running out of time, number six, I am the disciple who continues God's work. Mark 16, 20, as Jesus is ascending back to the Father, as he's ascending back to heaven, it says, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. See, when I think of the Easter story, I think of our part in the Easter story, which is to continue Jesus's work, spreading the gospel, what is the gospel? It's the news, the good news that Jesus, he took our sin to the cross. He paid for the death we deserved and that he rose again to overcome the grave once and for all. 
so that those who believe in him would also overcome death and receive eternal life as our reward. What is the good news? The good news is that death isn't the end. And that we have a hope that not only will it not be the end, but it will start something beautiful for those that believe in Christ. Easter reminds us that death has lost its sting. As the scripture says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We stand here, sit here on Easter Sunday, and there's an amazing moment that is present. It's the moment where you realize that the God who created earth, the God who created the universe, the God who knit you together in your mother's womb, loves you, has not forgotten or forsaken you, and is giving you the opportunity to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this teaching from Metro Church.